Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. It's one thing to challenge your mates to have a month off the drink. It's a whole other thing to start a national initiative and charity fundraising event. But 10 years ago, that's what today's guest embarked on. Brett McDonald was one of three British backpackers travelling through Sydney who all decided to have a month off alcohol after a solid few months of partying. Through building a website, linking it to fundraising for cancer organisations and with the backing of a national radio presenter, Adam Spencer, in 2008, Dry July was born. Here we are in July 2018 and it's possible that some of you listening across Australia and New Zealand may have signed up for Dry July. If you have, awesome. Hope it is going well. It's something that I've embarked on this year. And I'm excited about the social experiment and also the importance of raising much needed funds for cancer care. This is a fascinating conversation with Brett about his drive for change, the way that Dry July has needed to evolve and stay relevant, and his international ambition to utilise a new platform for fundraising. If you think it's too late to be involved in Dry July, then you're wrong. It's never too late to start. So if it piques your curiosity after this conversation, make sure you jump onto the website, commit to raising some funds, even $50 is fine, and get ready for a month of no hangovers. And I know that you'll enjoy hearing as much as I enjoyed chatting to Brett McDonald. How's your morning been, Brett? Yeah, good, actually. So um, I've done an interview on radio this morning, um, but then also been you know, chatting with the team. It's day, day three, so, uh, you know, the numbers have been amazing over the last couple of days. And so it's just really exciting. It's such a buzz in the office. Um, we're seeing a big lift in campaign registrations and funds raised for the organisations we're supporting. So obviously you're one of the, the founders and the backers of Dry July, and you're right, we're, we're sitting here in uh, the day three of July. Um, I have signed up for Dry oh, July, you. just so you know. <laughs> um, not only because I was sitting down with you, but that was certainly the final thing where I went, right, integrity, yep. <laughs> and to kind of put it into play. Um, both my husband and my father have also um, oh, joined me in, in uh, Dry July, oh, which is which is great. And, and I think for us it was absolutely... It was was partly that realisation that, you know, alcohol had probably crept in um, in ways that we hadn't necessarily wanted. We weren't necessarily normally drinkers during the week, mm. but we're starting to just have a glass of wine here and yeah. there, um, so a chance to kind of drop it off. But I want to talk to you a little bit about where the idea came from. So I understand the idea was back in 2007. Yeah. Where did that come from? So um, I was living in Bondi at the time um, and, you know, living with a couple of guys. And look, it had been a long summer and, um, you know, I guess enjoying the backpacker lifestyle. And um, So obviously out from the, the UK. UK. Yeah, yeah so you're out, out here 15 out years now. Yeah. Right. Um, and look, it was um, Kenny, who's the other co-founder. It was his 30th birthday in the middle of June 2007. And that was a very long party weekend. And really, the kind of hangover from that, we were like, well, you know, we haven't really stopped drinking for a very long time. <clears throat> and so we really kind of set, this, set ourselves this challenge again, well, let's, let's see which one of us out of a group of friends can last the longest without a beer. 
And, uh, you know, we competitive a, like where that's you it, Yeah, that's it. Well, we kind of like, well, we need a bit of time to prepare for this. And so 1st July was the next milestone. And so that was when we embarked on the challenge. Um, and look, we we're still going out to bars and clubs and things and but try not to drink. And all our friends, the group of circle that we we're in, just couldn't believe it and, you know, thought there might be something mentally or physically wrong with us. <laughs> <laughs> and any excuse we came up with wasn't enough. You right. know, and they, we kept getting bought drinks, but we were just leaving them on the tables. And um, So how many of you were, were in on? Uh, three on, of us originally. The three yeah. of you, yep. And uh, at that exact time, my auntie was diagnosed with cancer in um, June 2007. And so I was hearing a lot about her cancer journey. And how, you know, she was going to certain hospitals and seeing certain doctors and there wasn't the right equipment or, you know, she had to be moved around quite a lot to get the right treatment or see the right specialist. And, you know, kind of uh, that sparked something in me that was like, well, how can this happen in this day and age? You know, how can she have to travel, you know, 100 miles to, to get a certain bit of equipment that isn't in, you know, that hospital already? Um, and then, you know, kind of going out and having to make excuses and then just the conversations that started around not drinking, around people like, oh, I'd never need to do that. You know, I don't have a problem with drinking or I barely drink. But, you know, really when you start to look at how much you do consume in any week or month, it's quite significant. Had you noticed that even even in that first July? Like, yeah. was that part of that realisation during that month of actually going, yeah, oh, it was actually, confronting. Th- there's more, yeah. I'm... I'm have been drinking more than I probably am being honest with myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, from the work where I was working, you know, I was going out probably from Wednesday through to Sunday drinking and, you know, easily consuming at least five beers. And that was, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. And I guess, you know, when you're doing that for many, many months, um, you kind of reach a point where you go, wow. <laughs> and that's why we really started because there's a few of us that had kind of consistently been drinking for quite a long time and you know that was how we stumbled upon this and it got called dry july and really you know kind of on the one hand trying to constantly come up with reasons why i wasn't drinking and really seeing the kind of pushback and negativity from friends or the peer pressure and like literally being bought drinks and not drinking them so then you know on the other side hearing about a very close family member's cancer journey and thinking well what have we got to lose what if we did turn this into a charity fundraiser and you know, those few dollars that those schooners cost went to a charity organisation. And, um, our, you know, our backgrounds and skill sets, I was graphic designer and web designer. Um, Phil, the other guy involved was web developer. And Kenny was PR and marketing. So, you know, we kind of started bouncing the idea around of Dry July. And um, later that year in 2007, Phil Grove, um, he hadn't been well all of 2007, um, found himself at the Prince Wales Hospital getting treated for a tumour. Um, so we'd had this idea of Dry July and been thinking about how we could possibly launch it. And then, um, you know, Phil was in the cancer centre up at the Prince of Wales Hospital. Thankfully, his tumour was benign. It was removed and he was all OK. But uh, that kind of really spurred us on. And we approached the Prince of Wales Hospital Foundation and, uh, you know, never thought it was going to go anywhere. We thought we'd just get laughed out the doors and, you know, a couple of pommies trying to <laughs> convince Australia to give up drinking. What an absurd idea. <laughs> when you put it like yeah, that, it's that's just it. a bit crazy. But the, um, the CEO of the foundation there, you know, loved the concept and gave us a green light to go ahead and fundraise for them. 
Wow. And so, yeah, almost then it was, I'll never forget that after that meeting, Phil and I were almost like, oh God, now we've got to do some now work. Now we actually have to commit <laughs> to this. This is more That's than it. just an idea That's or a it. possibility. Um, um, and look, following that, you know, the next few months, again, there was lots of things that just came together very, very fortunately. Um, Phil's surgeon actually got a text, uh, Phil got a text message from his surgeon um, saying Adam Spencer's on ABC local radio talking about people giving up alcohol and to phone in and share their experiences because um, he was interviewing, um, I can't remember the actor's name, but a play called Ruben Guthrie. And um, that was a you know, journey about giving up alcohol. So um, uh, Brendan Cowell it was. And so uh, we missed that segment of phoning in, but we got in touch with a producer and said, look, you know, there's a bunch of guys doing Dry July this year and we'd love to get on and talk about it on the show with Adam. And, um, you know, f- kind of following that, we... We weighed in, then we got an email back saying, you're going on air in the morning talking with Adam. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that was really exciting where our idea of just trying to get 10 mates involved to raise $3,000 to put a new TV in the waiting room where Phil had been, um, all of a sudden was going out across Sydney um, with Adam Spencer. And we, that was, a, you know, it was a great interview and you could just hear Adam really interested about it. And we followed up with him and we're lucky enough to get a meeting with him at the ABC and um, I think he actually thought we were uh, Coca-Cola or a soft drink company. Right. It was all a big marketing <laughs> stunt. But then he met us and was like, wow, you, you guys uh, need some help. Right. Um, and look, he, you know, he got right behind it. He really understood what we were trying to achieve with the money and that it was all about making a very tangible change to a cancer patient's journey. Mm. Um, his dad had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So he'd seen firsthand that experience in the cancer wards. Yeah. Um, and look, he just... he. He is one that put us on the map, without a doubt. And I'll never forget the, the campaign in 2008, the first official fundraising campaign. I got into work and was getting a very odd stares from my colleagues and they were like, you're a national on Triple J. Wow. Um, Adam's gone into a Triple J studio and he's chatting with a doctor and they're setting up teams. And, and yeah, that was um, just incredible. Was that part of that realisation that... This, yeah. is, this is bigger than just the three of us and That's getting a it. TV. <laughs> That's it. Is... Yeah, it oh, was dear. just incredible. Um, and look, our, you know, from originally hoping to raise $3,000 with 10 mates was over 1,000 people and we um, gave a cheque of 257000 to the Prince of Wales wow. Cancer Centre. And um, when we did that cheque handover, Adam said, look, the guys at ABC love this and if you can set it up as an as a foundation national foundation we'll get a local radio presenter in each state and territory to go dry next july wow and so that was um a big moment for phil and i that we go well you know it's this is it we have to we've got to put a lot into this to did you have that conversation did you actually sit down and go okay this is something are we ready to take yeah. this on? Are we both, like, you know, are yeah. we, we committed? Because I can imagine that it's something to go, okay, that was fun. Maybe we just hand it over to ABC or yeah. Adam or and walk away from it. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, look, um, well, I do remember having that conversation with Phil mm. and it was over a couple of beers. Right. Um, and we've, look, I don't think there was ever any doubt in our minds. We were just so passionate about it and it, you know, it was so rewarding as well and fulfilling. And we got so much out of it that it was a case of, well, if we're going to do this, we have to leave our jobs um, and we've got to put everything into it because, you know, we've, we've got to basically get out there and we've got to learn a lot. We've, there's a lot of work needs to be done, mm-hmm. a lot of connections that need to be made. And, um, yeah, look, we just went into it wholeheartedly and 
I think ultimately it was like, well, what have we got to lose? I think both of us were at stages in our careers where <clears throat> we're both ready for some change um, and looking at going out and doing something on our own. And, um, you know, this idea presented itself and, um, you know, I, we just saw so much opportunity with it and we're just so excited about it that, uh, yeah, we just dived into it. <laughs> yeah. It's a big commitment to leave you, leave a job and, yeah. and chase after that. So that was in 2008? 2008, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, so hindsight, I probably did leave my job very or oh, much too soon. <laughs> but we um, look, we juggled lots of different things. Like we we started freelancing. I was doing freelance graphic design work and yep. web work, and Phil was as well doing contract web development. Um, and when we, you know, meetings with lawyers to set up the trust and foundation, um, it was you know there's a lot of processes we had to go through and. You know, hindsight, I probably left my job too soon because, you know, I still had to pay rent and survive and live. Um, but there was also so much work needed to set up the organisation and make it a national operation for 2009 um, that it needed that time dedicated to it. So, hey, look, we got through. There was a <laughs> level of commitment, yeah, I can imagine, that you needed it, to yeah. kind of go, we're either in or we're not. And that's that, it. That, that line in the sand. So 10 years on, what are some of the, the lessons or... Uh, things that you've learned along the way. Yeah, oh, so many, I have to say. For I've gone from sitting in the corner of a very large organisation, designing leaflets and logos to um, heading up a, a national cancer charity or fundraising charity, um, but now it's international with, you know, um, the UK and Canada and, and New Zealand. So, you know, in terms of uh, just running an organisation, really, even, you know, from culture to processes and procedures, to, you know, budgets and cash flows and forecasting. Um, All the boring stuff. Yeah, that's right? it, to managing just, Where do I get to hand over the check? <laughs> yeah, that's it, that's it. That's it. Um, yeah, from, you know, a lot of legal documents and yes, agreements yeah. and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot to take on. And you were saying before um, before we hit record that even the direction, um, even over a couple of years ago, you, you kind of had a bit of a change in what the intent is around, not the intent around mm. July, but really the main messaging around that. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, what that sure. realisation and what that shift's been? Yeah. So we've always been very lighthearted around, um, you know, alcohol and things like that. And it's always been, I guess, ultimately to raise funds for cancer organisations. But it was always first and foremost, go dry, you'll get healthy, you'll, you know, you'll feel some great health benefits along the way. And secondary message of, you know, oh, and you can also support cancer organisations. And look, I think that did tremendously well at getting the term dry July out there, but actually getting the cause known, uh, very few people actually understood what the cause was and they couldn't. And even when we told people about the cause, they couldn't tie it in with dry July and... Um, yeah, so where we were, you know, very much promotion, promoting the health and well-being side of things, and that was getting us, you know, so much exposure. The whole cause and fundraising element was dropping right off. Um, we were attracting probably the wrong audience to the campaign. Um, and so, look, we, we kind of went through a big change maybe about two years ago. Uh, we re completely rebuilt our web platform, and from that we got a lot of data insights. But in building that, we did a lot of user experience testing, um, some market research on it and so you know got a few people in to walk through the sign up process on the old system and there was a real disconnect people just dropping off and people when they're signing up thinking dry july was for mental health or substance abuse um, to then be faced with a wall of cancer organizations and that just led to a real 
area of confusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in turn from that, we kind of allow people to fast track in the new system to sign up for the Dry July Foundation. And then in turn, we've educated them on the cause Mm -hmm. and why we need them to get active and fundraise. And and, um, look, we've just seen the whole um, kind of fundraising aspect of it completely lift and it's transformed us. We've, we saw about um, close to 20% growth last year and day-to-day, year-on-year at the moment, we're seeing about 90% growth in wow. fundraising. So, yeah, look, we've just you know looked at the data, listened to what we're seeing, listened to what our participants are telling us and why they're fundraising, the reasons why they're getting involved. And it's also lowered the barrier of entry because we're always... Um, I guess putting Dry July up there is it's, you know, it's people's Everest. It's a really difficult challenge and, and mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. But when we kind of re-message that as it's the least you can do for people going through a really tough time and their cancer journey, it becomes a really easy thing to do. The perspective's yeah. completely different, isn't it? And um, just that sentence in itself is what's encouraged so many more people to sign up. Um, and it's in turn seeing a huge amount more get raised for the organisations we're supporting. And is that the the personal connection? Because I guess there's a lot of people who mm. either know someone who's either been through cancer treatment, currently going through cancer treatment. So it, there's a I can imagine that I'm doing it for That's someone it. that I loved, someone That's that it. I know. Exactly. Yeah. And you know the stats are that over eleven and a half thousand people diagnosed with cancer in July alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, it impacts one in two people. And um, yeah, look, when we were all about helping people through their journey, uh, we're not funding research. You know, some of the things that we fund range from chemotherapy chairs, transport to treatment vehicles, accommodation centres, um, wellness programmes. And the survivorship numbers are just increasing year on year. And that's another thing that I'm, you know, I've been very fortunate to see over the last decade is a real change in landscape of cancer treatment in Australia. Mm. And there's new cancer wellness centres being built. um, And there's incredible teams and doctors and staff on the ground making an incredible difference. And for us to be able to come in and fund, you know, some initiatives that are helping people um, because they're getting treated and they're surviving and living a lot longer. um, But they also need a lot more support. And so to be able to, you know, help people as they're going through that, yeah, yeah. I probably hadn't realised it was that side of it because I, um, when I when I signed up for it, you can, you can actually go through and choose the different cancer um, charities That's right. that the money yep. then goes towards. Yep. So, so you if you, yeah, I I think I selected prostate cancer because something yep. my my father's going through. So that helps yeah. to kind of make it more meaningful if you can actually be thinking about, yeah, whether yeah. it's actually helping with a chair or... And that's what, you know, we've been about since the very beginning. And I think this is why initially we didn't take it to a big national organisation because we didn't think it was going to be anything big. Um, we didn't think it was a, you know, a great fundraising idea. We thought it was, you know, going to be quite contained. And that's why we're not, oh, if we can just raise three grand for, an, you know, a nice new plasma TV. Mm-hmm. And we can then see our money and funds in action and... That's really a really big thing for us for transparency on it of showing people where their fundraising dollars are going, yep. and that it can buy chairs. It you know it can buy newspapers or flowers to brighten up a waiting area. Um, you know it it can provide somebody to get treatment that lives you know out back Queensland to get to Brisbane because they won't have to pay for accommodation, parking, transport, um, because we can help to facilitate all of that. And you know some of the and even you know iPads with. Um, 
with uh, cameras, you know, allow people to keep in touch with family members when they're traveling, um, mm. traveling to, you know, capital cities to receive the treatment that they can still keep in touch with their family in the outback. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Is there any stories um, over the last 10 years that, that mm. come to mind that kind of stick with you or resonate? With yeah, you? look, oh, there certainly is from certainly the the um the core side but i'm actually i'd like to just talk about a couple of things maybe from personal mm. side as well mm. um where we've seen um you know i've received emails from people from a lady that's tried to fall pregnant for many years and has been successful has done dry july and abstaining for the month of july and she's fallen pregnant wow. now whether that's down to us or go. not who knows but it's yeah. you know it's just emails like that, that i've received i've also had you know emails from parents where they've been concerned about their children and their drinking levels and they've got their kids to do dry July and it's transformed them. Um, Look, you know, I'm not saying that's all because of dry July, but these are some of the things that we're hearing. This is just the catalyst to be able to start that conversation Um, that maybe it's hard to navigate any other time. And even, you know, other people have said, I've now stopped drinking because I've done dry July. And, you know, these are, you know, these are things I've never, would never have even thought would be, uh, you know, kind of positivities that come out of a campaign. Um, you know, and that's without even really going into the patient side of things where, you know, we, we've funded over a thousand different projects across 75 different organisations um, and, you know, the impact that that's had. What drives you to keep doing this work? Um, the challenge, I think. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's, you know, I guess Dry July is the same campaign. We're encouraging people to give up alcohol every year, but we learn so much from every single campaign and we have to keep changing and adapting to stay relevant. Mm. Um, there's no way that we get away with just rolling out the same strategies year on year. And we you have to adapt. And um, I think that for me is what keeps it really interesting to try new things, to push the boundaries, to see what's happening in the sector. Um, you know, and just kind of really push the team as well to see what we can achieve. What helps you to do that? Because that's not um, uncommon, yeah. even for people listening. Even if they're not in a charity, but you, you've got to stay relevant. There often people have a message or a business that they're kind of working in and um, people kind of get a little bit scared of change or wary of it, even though we're in this constant kind of mm. change flux. But, yeah, almost what you're describing is how do I get on the forefront of that? Yep. How do we kind of reinvent that? So what helps you or... Or who is it, you know, people kind of advising that helps you kind of that navigate that question of are we still relevant? Yeah. Oh, look, I do have a tremendous board that support me, um, mm-hmm. tremendous team. Look, I think for me, I've always envisaged Dry July being able to raise X amount and it's getting to that number, but it's, like, it's got to get there. It's got so much more potential and um, can make such a big difference. So, uh, I Are guess, you happy to share what that is, yeah. or is that, is that a kind oh, of yeah, for, yeah? For look, for sure. Um, like I, for me, I feel like it's a ten million dollar fundraising campaign, um, and we've been around about the four million mark for the last um, five or six campaigns. But then I guess when you look at it, when you're actually looking at the numbers, we've constantly invested the same. So um, you know, this year we've we've kind of re-strategized. We've taken a little bit of risk. We've, I think. We've had to look at, you know, this is how we've always operated over the last four years and these are always the results we've got. Um, it's got a lot more potential. You know, you, when you're kind of working in it, you can feel that through the social media buzz that comes around with it, um, the media interest and just the general conversations that are out there that, um, 
you know, it's got so much more potential and feeling that. But how do we tap into that? So it's for us, you know. Is some of that, sorry to interrupt, yeah. is some of that potential people doing dry July but not doing the fundraising? Exactly, and not, yeah. And is that where you see? So I've, I've been in cafes and, you know, the number of people I hear talking about dry July. Okay. They're not know, on my system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Why not? laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I know there's a lot of people out there doing it um, that aren't registered. And uh, it's like, how do we tap into those people and, and convert them to fundraising and mm. get them aware of the cause and the impact that they can have as individuals on? And there's not a minimum fundraising. Like, you, no, just, you can, it. whatever it is, to get 50 dollars, yeah. $100 yep. is fine. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess that's another thing where people, you know, don't sign up, don't sign up. But if they did, we're also providing them with a lot of content throughout the campaign, yep. you know, health and wellbeing tips, um, patient stories and things like that, that you know, really show or help them along to keep them, you know, dry for the whole month as opposed to them, you know, maybe getting uh, arm twisted on a Friday or Saturday night. You know, and we're sending text messages and support calls and things like that. For me, and, and I, I can already, we're only day three, <laughs> so I'm <laughs> fine, but I can already envisage there's a couple of events happening. There's things like I've got a trip coming back down to Sydney. And, um, but when there's that personal connection, when there's that personal drive, yeah. when you do have that message of this is nothing compared yeah. to someone going through cancer treatment, I already know that I'm going to be okay yeah. um, because there is an, an extra impotence to yeah. kind of, yeah, stick with it yeah. and it really doesn't matter and I yeah. actually don't need that beer and a soda water will yeah. be totally fine. No, that's it, exactly. And look, the numbers speak for themselves actually in the campaign. People, that we have a little onboarding process that allows people to select their reason why they're doing Dry July. And mm -hmm. uh, three simple reasons is, um, you know, I just need a month off. Um, I know somebody with cancer or cancer's impacted my life. Um, mm. And the people that are just doing it because they need a month off might raise maybe 80 to $100. Yep. The people that know somebody affected by cancer are raising close to $400 each. Um, and those, you know, those numbers speak for themselves and the personal stories that then get written on people's pages mm. and the photos that get uploaded. Um, and often a lot of times those people are very willing to talk to media and share their stories in, you know, local press as well. So we try and get them engaged as much as we possibly can. Mm. Yeah, really, really powerful. We were talking a little bit before around there's a lot to do and this isn't just a national, I mean, it's a national initiative mm. here in Australia, but you you mentioned really, really quickly, so I want to dive back yeah. in is that you work globally, so internationally yeah. as well. Um, run through what other initiatives you've got. So New Zealand. Yes, yeah. yeah, so we've got Dry July Australia New Zealand. Yeah. Um, we've got Go Sober for October in the UK mm -hmm. and we've got Dry February in Canada with the Canadian Cancer Society. Right. So um, a lot going on. Yeah. Are you travelling? Um, I'm, I'm location? off to the UK mid-September. Um, so I'll be over there working with the, the charity that we align with over there. Um, and in addition to that, with the website that we built for Dry July and the fundraising platform, we're actually allowing other charities to use that platform and working with them, um, you know, to collaborate and, you know, how we can work with them to lift their own fundraising for their online events. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's another arm of what we're doing. Um, but it's really exciting. It's, um, you know, the UK campaign um, sees about 80,000 people sign up and uh, I think raises, I think this lower 2017 raised £5.2 million. Pounds. Wow, it's huge. Canada's a bit smaller, but it's, when you're looking at, I guess, the metrics and the data, it's all the same. It's consistent. It's, mm. So it's got a lot of potential. 
um, which is really exciting as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> huge and and I love your aspiration around how can we realise that potential just here in Australia, let mm. alone those those other major centres and those kind of conversations. What can happen um, when there's a lot to do is that we can get caught up in our own busyness, even mm. when it's good stuff. Um and we were talking before we jumped on the mic. You also have a six-month-old. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so life is busy at home as yeah. well. How do you personally navigate your own energy yeah. and um, and so that you can turn up and do this work? Yeah. Um, yeah, my six-month-old boy. Um, look, I knew kind of this time last year that obviously he was on the way and um, 2018 had to be very different and I had to start looking after myself a bit more. Um, I joined a gym in September 2018 and I've gone right, I've got to stick to this because, you know, I, I just haven't been exercising or doing anything like that. This just takes over and it does impact many aspects of your life from friendships to, you know, relationship with my wife and my wife's birthday is the 2nd of July. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she, um, yeah, it's kind of very difficult to maintain that balance. Um, yeah. But so I've gone into this year going, there's just no way I'm going to make it through unless I make some big changes. And um, I've just really worked hard to get myself out of a detail, um, to pass it on to the team and kind of moving some of the team up and giving them a lot more responsibility. And they have really shone through. It's just been incredible to see that take place. Um, and, you know, I, I'm trying to manage my time a lot better. I'm, you know, trying to get to the gym at like 5.30 in the morning to get home to play with my little boy for, you know, 45 minutes, then, you know, get into the office for half eight. Um, you know, to do as much work as I can to get home to have bath him and, you know, whereas this time last year I'd, you know, be in the office very early, leave very late and just, so I'm probably, um, probably a lot more I should be doing at the moment, but I'm just also very conscious of my other commitments and my own health and well-being as well and kind of how I manage that and. Uh, it's, it's a challenge. <laughs> totally, totally. And you, we all ride that wave where you, you nail it one day and then the next yeah, day you throw it yeah. out the window. <laughs> but remember the moments that you nail it. But I love that gym is obviously a key part of that for you. Yeah. And I think we often talk about physical movement. Um, and and we we think about the physical outcomes but not so much the, yeah. the mental health and the sense of well-being around, around doing that as well. And I also joined a, um, a non-profit alliance hub um, maybe about this time last year, just to get myself out of the office and away from that laptop once a month um, to sit with um, a lot of peers in a room and just share a lot of experiences and get their input and, you know, kind of do some roundtable analysis of each other's issues or wins and things like that and, de um, I guess, uncouple a lot of problems and how you might be able to resolve. And that's been hugely beneficial for me. Um, one, to get out of the office and, you know, just to give you that, bit of a uh, bit of breathing space really to think about actually what's really important to get back into the business and get re-energized um, as opposed to just slogging it through and only ever doing emails and phone calls and I think um, it's critical to know that you don't have to do it on your own yeah there are other people there you can kind of bounce off and yeah. ask help for no that's right and it's I, I guess as well in the last 12 months I've really been and it's been part of a hub as well is to look at my strengths because um, I felt like I was just more doing an admin role of just, you know, signing forms, checking checkboxes and just keeping, you know, keeping the lights on and keeping yeah. keeping all street legal, I guess. And um, you kind of all of a sudden realise, actually, this isn't really what I want to be doing. You know, this isn't where my strengths lie. This isn't where my passions lie that 
I'm much better utilised over here doing this. So who else can I get on board to do this? Yeah. And so um, that's been another big key shift for me this year of just offloading all the stuff. And I've still got a bit more to go, I think, but, um, you know, offloading the stuff that just de-energise me. Um, it's really powerful to actually stop and go, what are my strengths? What am yeah. I good at? Where, if I could just do that, where where's the best place for, for me to be um, operating and working? What are some of your strengths? What are the things that you go, that's the piece that... If- yeah, um, funny, funny enough, I did a strengths profile and I think legacy was uh, one of the big ones that came up. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I find, look, I... I love getting out there and sharing the story and, you know, I really love working on the strategy and looking at the bigger picture stuff and um, looking at how we can get that. I I feel like there's 10 different ways you can cut something Um, and that's how we, with Dry July, have implemented a major beneficiary model for this year's campaign, working with the Leukaemia Foundation, Prostate Cancer, um, Look Good, Feel Better and Cancer Council. And look, that was something I never, I didn't see that. I didn't work that one out. That was um, our company secretary that came up with that idea. Mm. Um, but I knew that we needed something to get us up to the next level. So um, look, for me, it's not about me having all the ideas all the time. It's collaborating, getting a lot of smart people in the room and kind of going, look, this is what we can get to. But I, where's the path? I can't, you know, with what we've got to work with, we're not getting there. But how do we? And so... Um, yeah, so this, and this has come into effect this year and it's worked tremendously. And it was a bit of a risk, but we were willing to take that. Give it a go and yeah. see, just to be able to help break That's through and, and get to your $10 million yeah. goal at <laughs> some point. <laughs> so obviously we're already into July. Uh, if someone's listening and they're going, ah, oh, your next July feels like too long to wait, can they kickstart halfway through the month? They certainly can. Yeah, it's never too late to sign up. Um, so, yeah, the sign-ups will remain open throughout the whole of the month. Um, we do have golden tickets. There's always a sigh of relief when I talk about golden tickets. What's so a if- golden ticket? <laughs> Tell me. Um, so it's, if, it's your, if you've got a birthday or anniversary or big work function, that it does allow you a night off of your challenge that you can actually have a drink. Um, but it's for a cost of a donation. I think it's minimum $25. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously, you know, all funds to the good cause. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's... And that really came about when we were bouncing the idea around in the very early days and everybody had an excuse. It was like, nobody's ever going to do this because everybody's dreaming up reasons why they yes, can't. Yes, there's always something in so July, like your wife's, yeah. <laughs> like wife's birthday. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, look, we, we actually do get a lot of uh, controversy around the golden tickets because people think that it's, you know, not staying true and things like that. But it also raises an incredible amount of money. And, you know, we've seen participants have a golden ticket every single day or they've bought a golden <laughs> ticket every single day right. um, and you know they wouldn't have got involved otherwise so um, we know that it, it raises a lot of money for cancer organisations so uh, yeah they're not going anywhere. <laughs> no no and that's part of that clarity of going actually that's the purpose and the bigger the bigger picture yeah. Um, for yeah for what you're kind of describing. So do you do Dry July every year? I do, yeah, I do it every year, yeah. yeah. Like it, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I do drink a lot less than what I used to, though, now, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I still, you know, I certainly do still enjoy a drink. Have you got any tips or tricks on uh, on some of that pushback that can happen when you're going to a social event or someone says, oh, come on, just just have a glass, it'll be yeah, fine? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
drive, I guess, would be a good one. <laughs> or Beaver Dave <laughs> No reason. Driver. Look, we've had um, people put sparkling water in wine glasses and that's got them through. Yeah. Um, you know, to buddy up and go out with your friends that are also doing Dry July as well. Um, but just as, as all out, you know, commit to it and think about the cause. And, you know, once you put it out on social media or in email that you're doing it, then you've got to hold yourself accountable. So, you know, people will be trying to get you to drink. Um, but it's also interesting. It is, it is a social experience, really, when you're going out and people are drinking you around those people. And as they get more and more drunk and, and loud and repeat mm. themselves, and it's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting experience. Yeah, you start and, to and see it on you, the other you, side. Then you know that you can wake up fresh the next day and they'll be suffering. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and for me, like, I think it is part of that experiment and kind of mm. uh, looking at that and, and yeah, just realising that you can actually wake up <laughs> feeling good, <laughs> yeah. feeling good the next day and still have a good night, having had connected with people and still had that kind of social yeah. social aspect. What's next for you? So obviously getting mm. through July, but what's what's next on the radar? Yeah, look, I, I think we're well on our path now to grow Dry July to the next level. Um, so that's really exciting for me and looking at probably working with some national cancer organisations to help us get us there. And uh, this is in turn, I think, really exciting proposition, I think, for the charity sector in terms of, you know, a lot of organisations, a lot of charities own their own fundraising concepts. But, you know, actually, if you open these concepts up, to allow lots of different cancer organisations or fundraising organisations use that kind of IP and grow that idea, it could be ten times what you what a certain organisation could do. And we've seen that as evidence with Dry July this year that why why shouldn't you know a big national cancer organisation be benefiting from this to fund you know some of their changes and programs and um, that's an approach that we've taken this year and it's been incredible for us. So looking at how we can adapt that and, you know, maybe pass those learnings on. Um, I'd love to get it into the States. I've been in conversations with a couple of organisations over there, but it's it's hard, proving harder than what I thought it was going to be. Um, what so, are some of the barriers? Um, look, I think I just need to get on a plane and get some meetings over there. It seems like just communicating over Skype or email, people, the organisations just don't seem to get it. Mm. And maybe um, it's a what could be seen as a new way of fundraising, different approach, but mm. these organisations aren't familiar with, so they're not, you know, the kind of penny hasn't dropped with them just yet. Definitely the concept is, yeah, yeah to kind of have, you could have multiple charities. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can imagine it. if you're a charity that doesn't quite yeah. compute just yet. Um, and in some ways it, it seems to, as as a user on the user end, um, it seems to kind of give you that choice and the option. Yeah. So, so it fits really nicely, yeah. but I can imagine that being there. The barrier for the charity. So, yeah. so getting on a plane over yeah. to the US. Um, yep. And uh, look, I, I, I really do feel like the technology that we've built and run Dry July and the other campaigns off of, that this is so scalable, you know, on a global basis as well. And, you know, we can run campaigns that have five participants to over 100,000. You know, it's so scalable. And, you know, for me, it's like, yes, we run Dry July. And at the moment, we've got you know, a few big campaigns on it, but what if we were running a hundred fundraising campaigns right across the world? And that's what really excites me about that opportunity there to make that kind of difference mm. on such a grand scale. Um, so that's 
that's the kind of goal I'm, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal I want to chase. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I almost go that vision of $3,000 for the first yeah. year is, is definitely, you've been stretched and yeah. uh, that vision is huge and obviously a bit of work in between hanging out with your son and yeah. <laughs> going to the gym <laughs> yeah. all amongst it, uh, amongst it all. So we'll definitely put all the links in if anyone is interested to to be jumping on board even partway through July. Um, join the, myself, my husband, and, and yeah. everyone else who's obviously part of Dry July uh, for 2018. I want to wrap up by asking yeah. you one final question. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mm. mean to you to, to live a standout life? Yeah, look, I think retracing back 2007 and how I felt then, um, kind of quite unfulfilled and not great direction as to where I was going in my life. And then all of a sudden this kind of lightning bolt hit and um, was off on a completely different path. And, I've, you know, I, I guess it's kind of finding that purpose um, and having that drive. And I guess now even, you know, having a son, it's, uh, you know, kind of being able to pass on, well, you know, kind of morals and, like looking, I th- you know, I think I look at the world very differently to what I did a decade ago. And, you know, I think I have much bigger perspective. And so looking forward to passing that on. Um, but I'd also like to share this. And when talking about standout life, um, there's a, a program run by a lady called Flutter Leon that we funded at Liverpool Wellness Cancer Centre. Um, and it's called Reflected Legacy. And um, she runs a, a kind of art therapy program for end of life patients. And, you know, from varying ages, from young to, you know, kind of uh, through to, you know, kind of seniors. And what she, her kind of experience is a lot of people that, you know, are at end of life, don't feel that they've lived their life or fulfilled their life. And she runs this program where she goes in and sits with them and the family and um, basically gets them to answer a range of questions. And she came in and did this with our with the team, the Dry July team, and it's been one of the most profound experiences of my life, actually, mm. where, you know, kind of tell me one time when you felt complete freedom or one time when you felt really scared or excited and just going through a range of emotions. And when she's gone through that whole process and at the same time she's drawing a beautiful drawing and each part of that drawing means a certain part to the story that's being told um, and then she paints that picture and provides it to the family. Um, but when you're saying a standout life, that people with every day might not feel like they've lived a standout life, but when you explain all these range of emotions and you mm. you tell moments of your life where, you know, I've done this or I've achieved that and you know, I've felt fulfilled and connected and loved, everybody's got those experiences. And uh, I think that for me is a standout life to go through those range of emotions and life's experiences and to be able to remember those and bring them forward. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't connect enough or, you know, kind of recall all those sorts of memories. But when you actually go through and go, oh, yeah, I have lived a, yeah. lived a standout life. And, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. a really big process for patients to go through that. And, and there's almost, you know, an acceptance at the end of it. And so, yeah, that's when she did that with the team, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Oh, I can imagine. Um, I can imagine. And so, you know, we've still got that painting up on our wall in the office right by the front door. So you see it every day and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's been a wonderful thing. It's really powerful. And I guess what comes to mind for me is just that, um, is notice the moments when you're in them. Yeah. Because sometimes we, we don't think they're that extraordinary. We think they're pretty yeah. ordinary, but uh, that might be the very moment that you reflect back on or has meaning yeah. in that space. 
been beautiful to chat with you, Brett, and all Thank the best so with the, the growth and the next pieces that are, that are moving ahead for you. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.